This is so cool because I feel like every time you preach, I'm the one who gets to like bring you up and I'm honored and blessed by it because this is one of my favorite people. I have the pleasure of serving alongside him at our Cleveland campus primarily. I know he comes here too sometimes, but he belongs to Cleveland, just so y'all know. So don't try to gas him up. Don't everybody try to come up to him and be like, wow, you were so good. You should come here. No, 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 no. His family belongs to Cleveland because they're the best. I love you guys so much. This, these two are just, they're, they're like couple goals, but on another level. I truly look up to you guys. I look up to the kids that you've raised. I looked up to the family that you've created. Uh, when Pastor Kyle preaches, it comes from such a rich place, such a strong lineage of Christ and such a firm foundation of God's word. I'm so honored and blessed. Church on the North Coast, could you please stand to your feet and help me welcome Pastor Kyle Lott as he comes to preach. Thank you, Pastor. Always, always right. <laughs> Here to stay. Thank you, Pastor. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been in church my whole life, but joined this church in, um, in high school. And uh, yeah, our family started over there in what it was called 180 or whatever. What was it called? Studio 7. Studio 7, not 180. Studio 7. Yeah, that's where we met. Um, shared that with the, uh, with the youth a couple months ago. So uh, yeah, keep coming to... Ad and I and um, DSM and, you know, you don't know, you don't know who you can meet, right? What God will do. Um, yeah, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we just pray that you are glorified this evening in this place, uh, in the hearts and in the minds of those here present in the room. We acknowledge you as the one true King, the one true God, and your Son as the only Savior, Father. So we're humble, Father God, all over again at the majesty, Lord God, of the, the incredible, miraculous work of the cross. Um, Father God, help us this evening to humble ourselves in a way that we would adopt your mind. That you would identify, even right now, Holy Spirit, begin to identify the areas in our lives and our minds and hearts that we've carried our whole lives, or a good portion of our lives, that do not line up with your word. Teach us, Lord, what it means to have a soft heart. And Father God, help me to get out of the way and put you on display this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll jump right into this. So the, the title of my message is called Telephone. Um, last time, shout out to Matt and all the team in the back. Last time they did some awesome slides for me. I don't see any slides this evening. There's a, <laughs> not as creative as the last one. No, it's, good. it's awesome. Telephone. There we go. Uh, love Matt. Shout out to Matt. Um, so to kick this off, I, I, I've never had done this before, so I, I know some of you came this evening and all you were hoping for is that the speaker was going to call on some volunteers. I noticed some people who are so anxious and excited, so I need six volunteers to meet me up on the stage. This is your moment. I know you're ready. Six people. Not all at once. All right, we got one, two, three, four, five. I need one more. And you guys could just stand up on this step right here and line up like shoulder to shoulder, but maybe like a gap in between, if that makes sense. Yeah, one, two, three, four. No, I, I need you. I need you. I need six. Yeah, yeah, one more, right? We, is that six? All right, we're going to play telephone. Does anybody remember playing telephone? Um, has anybody seen this, uh, this uh, demonstration in church before? I know I've seen it. You've been around church a couple of times. You've seen this. Uh, there's... It's a little cliche in my, for, for me, but I think that this is one of the best ways to demonstrate the message this evening. So um, I'm going to start with Marie over here. And um, you guys know how to play tele telephone? 
No, I'm just going to just read it, right? So the idea is I have a phrase that I'm going to let Maria read, okay? In turn, you're going to, as best as you can remember, whisper that phrase um, to your left all the way down, right? Past the message. And what we're going to see is I'll read. We'll see what Pastor Jeremiah will just recite, uh, whatever it is at the end, right? And then um, I'll just read what it should have been at the, at the beginning. And we'll see how, what I want you to pay attention to is just, again, the difference between the original message uh, and the end message, or the one that um, Pastor Jeremiah is going to read off, okay? And this message is not significant. Uh, it's meant to be, I guess, kind of silly on purpose, okay? All right, so I'll let you read it for a little bit. It's in the parentheses, so all the way to low. Let me know when you got it. Stop there. You got it? Okay. All right. Can't look at it anymore. All right. Let's see it. Just whisper it along. (laughs) Get the Jeopardy music going. Keep it going. It's got to be quick. Only one time. (laughs) Only one time. Yeah. As best as you can remember. That's what I'm hoping for. It'd be, yeah. yeah. Maybe we got some sabotagers already. That's, yeah, that's what we used to do, yeah. All right, we got it. Okay, so. Is it a bunch of blueberries in the field? Okay, so Pastor Jeremiah, uh, you guys are close, pretty good. So he said, yeah, a round of applause. That's pretty good. So he said, say it one more time. Okay, a bunch of blueberries in the field, okay? So the original message, though, was a bright bunch of blueberries sat on a big boat. (laughs) Not bad, all right, not bad. All right, that's pretty good. You guys give him a hand. You guys can sit down. That's pretty good. Watch your step. Okay, that's not bad at all. Um, We... I've been a part of life groups and Bible studies before. We play a game called Telephone Pictionary, and it's a combination of telephone, this game, and then Pictionary. So you write a message, and then the next person has to, on the piece of paper, draw a picture of what that message is, and we have some fun with that. But um, I'm going to read out of, you know, <laughs> to shift gears here, the, the original um, game of telephone was played, played by um, someone that we call Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And I want you just, I'll read this slowly, and I I want to kind of set up. Uh, My points are very brief this evening, but uh, I do want to take some time to to set this up because as I was preparing this message, I knew that God had a revelation for me, uh, but I I don't know what it was. And it was, it's always really exciting to get fresh revelation from the Lord. And I'm getting ready to share that here in, in a few moments. So just, just hang in there. But, but check out what, um, how Satan addresses or tempts Eve in the original fall uh, account in the book of Genesis. So this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse, verse 1, and then um, verses 4 through 5. So he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then verse 4. But the serpent, and she responds, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, verse 5, For God knows when you eat of it, watch this part, Your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I'm going to read that last part again. 
your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So I'm going to come back to the scripture here in a moment, but it is important to understand this, okay? And this, tonight I'm going to get a, a, a little heavy, but I think it's so necessary in our time. Um, it's important to understand that just like this game of telephone we just depicted, that uh, Satan's lies are oftentimes extremely close to the truth. So it's, it's not that Satan, well, I'll, I'll get there later on. But his lies are very close to the truth. So it's much like this message at the end was, was good enough, I suppose, but it wasn't quite exactly the original message that was shared. Uh, the other thing is that a lot of times Satan's lies will effectively have a component of them that are embedded or an element that are embedded to, uh, to really appease to the flesh, right? So there's a reason why he packages his lies up in like cool movies, right? Or video games or songs or music, right? I share this quite often, but like a lot of the music that I listened to growing up was, was very, you know, you know, rap music and it was violent. And it's like, if you were to tell somebody, if you're, you just come up to them and say, hey, I want you to go rob a store today. They're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? But if you put it to a beat, if you put it to a rhythm and you just play it over and over and over again, subliminally, that gets downloaded into your spirit. So that is how Satan works. I, I, I thought of this example. Satan pushes out lies into the atmosphere, much like companies issue stock, right? So a company that's looking to raise capital, right? Sorry, I'm getting a little business here. My business background kicking in. But there's two ways they do it. Uh, a publicly traded company, they'll issue stock, that's called, we refer to that as equity, or they'll issue uh, debt, okay, bonds, two ways that they do that, okay. Um, this is very much how Satan does it, okay. He'll issue a lie. Now, I'll, a stock can be outstanding. You can buy it or not buy it, right? You can become a shareholder or have equity in a company or not become a shareholder and have equity in a company. You can choose to believe Satan's lies, right? and effectively become a shareholder, uh-oh, in his kingdom, or you don't have to, right? You can adopt the truth of the word of God, amen? So the question is, how much equity or ownership do you have in the kingdom of darkness this evening? Let that just salah. See, much of the foundation of our lives are, origi- excuse me, of our lives are originally built on this idea of lies or fallacy, okay? We're going to dive into this. But typically, it'll come from family, right? Uh, we just believe things because we were taught that via our family, not necessarily because God or the Word shares it. Um, culture, right? Very popular. Whatever the masses are sharing, whatever the media is propagating, whatever you see on the news, I'm going to believe that, right? Pain, we go through experiences that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, and as a result, we, we make up our mind about what is reality and what is not, or what is truth and what is lie. Um, you know, we always kind of also, you know, we, we tend to as, as individuals, even though we, there is this like groupthink element to people, we do have like an individual, we, we make like exceptions for, for ourselves, right? We'll say, you know, well, that's all well and good for, for them, but, but here's the reality for me. You know, do you not know? I used to love Dr. Kitts, and he always used to say this, but you know, do you not know what happened to me? Do you know what I've been through, right? It's very, we, we make an exception for ourselves for, you know, why we believe what we believe or why we behave uh, the way that we behave. Really, you know, this is one of the, uh, the, the terms that this is given is this idea of victim mentality. And we, we carry this victim mentality. Bad has been happened to us, and I'm not, you know, um, 
saying by any means that the bad that happened to us growing up or throughout our lives or our family isn't um, relevant or is not important or is not a factor, but that does not necessarily mean that we should derive truth based off of that experience. I've heard this, uh, somebody that I know said this to me, and it very much stuck with me. It's the, the, the quote is simply this. It's, the mind can be a prison. The mind can be a prison. Uh, one of the f- classic examples of this is there's like um, the way that they'll train some, I believe it's horses. I might be messing up the animal, but the, the, but the analogy still works. It's that they'll tie like a, a noose of the horse to, uh, to basically a big tree. You know, something that is very, very strong, something the horse can't run away from or break. And then they'll slowly wean that horse or condition that horse um, or animal, if you will, to a smaller tree, right? So much so that eventually they'll tie the horse down to like a small twig or something like that, something that clearly they could just yank from and buck loose, but they're already conditioned in their mind. Their mind has already told them, and they've established the conditioning that this rope connected to this thing, I can't move, I'm stuck. So they're in bondage only through their mind, right? Um, the people in prison today, Walk, in prison today, and there's people walking around this world, right? There's people in prison today that are more free in Christ, in their minds, than people walking around free on the streets around the world. It's like, how could this be? One more quote. I heard this, and this really stuck with me, and we'll tie some of these things together. The mind, you want to write this one down. The mind replays what the heart cannot delete. The mind replays what the heart cannot delete. And just stay with me. I'm just setting some groundwork. So famous, famous verse, Romans 12 and 2. And this is an admonition. Really, if you, know, if you forget all, everything else I'm going to say, just go back to this verse because there's, much, there's great depth here. And I think there's a great call uh, on all of the believer's life. that this, it, it, it translates our walk into a very active, actionable, daily aggressive, intentional walk. Like there's some stuff that we have to do on us, right? In lockstep with the Holy Spirit. The work of the cross, yes, is finished for salvation. But in order to become like Christ, it's not going to just happen by accident, right? We have to be very intentional. And the word very much admonishes this. Let's read it. Do not be conformed to this world, but what be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, a significant portion of the ministry of Christ, a very significant portion, and still today, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, starts and centers with the renewal and the restoration of the mind. Did anybody, does anybody know that? that, If that's new to somebody, then, um, you know, it's an awesome revelation to see. But this, our mind, every single person in this room, must be transformed, must be renewed continually, daily. Meaning, your thoughts the way they are right now, my thoughts the way they are right now, um, are not where God wants us to land. It's not where, not where God wants us to end. There's a transformation that should be taking place. Matthew 13 and 19 says, I'm sorry, um, in, in addition to that, I'll, I'll come back to Matthew 13 and 19, but um, the very first message or the very first uh, sermon, if you will, that Jesus ever preached was all about the mind. It was all, it was, isn't that interesting? 
I mean, he was going to go endure a cross and he was going to go through suffering and the Holy Spirit was going to be outpoured, all these awesome things. But, but Jesus started first with the mind, right? Matthew 4, 19 says, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say a lot of other scriptures that suggest, unless you deal with this thing first, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 13 and 19, let's, let's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read, I encourage you to read the whole story of the, the parable of the sower. There's, much, there's a lot of rich depth here. But Jesus kind of is giving a little bit of a, of a secret in terms of understanding, okay, here's how the mind works. Based off of how the mind works, why does not everybody that hears this message of the good news, right? You ever wonder this? Like, I know people growing up that were in this church when I grew up. It's like I look around and you look on social media and there doesn't appear that they're walking with the Lord anymore. You know, it's like, why is that? You ever wonder that? I I do. Jesus answers this question in Matthew 13 and 19. Uh, and really, this is a snippet of the whole passage. You should read the whole thing. But when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not what? Understand it. Understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. If you read the whole parable of the sower, Jesus basically identifies you know, three different reasons, three different things that will cause you to be uh, in a place of um, you know, ignorance or non-understanding of the, of the Word of God, uh, circumstances, temptation, and then, of course, Satan himself. So those three things. If you look into the Greek of this word understand, it's very interesting. Um, the, the word means to consider and join together in the mind. This is what Jesus literally said. For those who do not, who do not understand, for those who do not consider and understand in the mind. And conversely, the Greek word for foolish means those who are with, without reason, senseless, acting rashly, with, with, without reflection. So really, intentional, honest reflection can be all the difference between someone who understands and applies uh, the truth versus someone who foolishly lives in a delusional state, right? And, and, and we see this. You, know, if you, if you don't have to look far to see this uh, in, in day to day. But I want to I center in, before I get into my main points, on, on, on this key revelation here. I want to shift gears. Um, and this is found in John 8, 44. We, we won't read the scripture, but many of you have heard this. And Jesus refers to Satan as the father of lies. Everybody remember this? The father of lies. So it's kind of like wrestling with this scripture. Um, like, what do you mean by that, Jesus? You know, like, what is a lie versus truth? Because we, being in church at any, any length of time, you recognize, okay, walk in the truth. Okay, read your Bible. Okay, got it, right? You know, lies or anything that's not in the Word. And we've heard this before. But, but watch, watch this because we're going to come back to Genesis. The, the Greek word for lies is this word uh, sustes is how you pronounce it, sustes. And I looked up the first um, definition and it simply was a liar. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't help me. Like it's just the, the Greek word for lies is just a liar. But then watch the second and the third definitions. It says, one who breaks faith, a false and faithless man. And as soon as I read that, I immediately got revelation to say, whoa, wait a minute. Meaning there is a connection between trust and truth. There's a connection between trust and truth. So let's go back to Satan's original lie. What did he say? You will become like God, knowing good and evil, right? Remember, what did God say? God said you're going to die, right? 
Satan says you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. Well, where is the lie? Here's the reality if we tie this all together back to this definition about faith. God never wanted us to know the difference between good and evil. God only wanted us to know him. Let me say it one more time. God never wanted us to know the difference between good and evil. God just wanted us to know and trust him. That is what truth is. It's trust. It's faith in God. Amen? Amen. We know that. We, we, we know all about faith. So here's my key point. I'm going to get into um, some examples here that, you know, will be a, bit, a, little bit, be a little bit different. But the key point is simply this. Without trust or faith, a person will never know truth. You'll hear people all in the world today, they'll talk about, prove me Jesus is real. and Prove me this. And what is truth? At the end of the day, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So without trust, Faith, a person will never know truth. Trust, and, then, and conversely, truth must be heard, understood, and applied to the believer's life in order to be transformed into the image of Christ. So I know that's a lot there. But the idea is simply this, that when you're walking with the Lord, there's so many times, you're living this thing called life out. There's so many times where you're, you're just... Your, your mind, your thoughts are cloudy. You don't know what's, especially when you're going through a battle, right, a struggle. And you begin to question your faith. You begin to doubt. And you begin to just struggle with what's real and what's not real, right? And we know that it's important to come back to the Word of God. But at the end of the day, truth is full reliance on God. It's full reliance on the Holy Spirit. From that place, fresh revelation comes in. And of course, the Holy Spirit does his ministry of building us up so that we are very strong and edified in, under the Lord. And so with the rest of the time, I want to just give you five things. This would be a little fun here, hopefully. Five things that Jesus never said. But, however, many of us, maybe not us in this room. I hope, I don't, I'm going to say nobody in this room. <laughs> but five things Jesus never said. However, there's many people that not only believe these things, but do apply them in our life. And I want you to pay attention. There's two things I want you to pay attention as I go through these very quickly. Number one is pay attention to there's one central theme in all of these. So we'll, we're going to really expose uh, the enemy at the end here with this one central theme. But number two, notice how good these all sound. They all sound good. They all sound, they're all coated with sugar. They sound like it would be a scripture in the Bible. However, it's not, okay? So I'm going to give you the lie. I'm going to give you the things that Jesus never said, and then I'm going to give you what he did say. Here we go. Number one, follow your heart. Uh-oh. <laughs> follow your heart. Especially with the important decisions, who you should marry, where you should live, uh, where, you should, where you should work at. You've heard people say this a billion times. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Let me ask you a question. If you had a cavity, right, would you a allow a dentist to fill that cavity that was intoxicated at the moment? Anybody, anybody sign up with that for that one? What about this one? Would you fly uh, from here to Europe? Uh, and the pilot had a, and you knowingly, he had a suspended license. Okay. So, here, so here's a question. Why then would we allow our heart to lead us? That's right. Thank you, Pastor. Your heart, here, watch this, stay with me. Your heart does not possess the necessary certifications to lead your life. Simply put, your heart is not qualified. It hasn't passed the bar exam. It hasn't passed the SAT. It hasn't passed the, the pilot course, whatever you want to call it. Your heart, as Pastor Jeremiah just said, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful among all things and desperately sick. 
who can understand it. So what did Jesus in turn say? He didn't say follow your heart. He said what? Follow me. Follow, not me, follow Jesus. <laughs> follow Jesus. You know, it, there's not really an analogy for this, but I think of like, especially during this time, the, 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 uh, the scammers, right? The phone scammers, the, the people that, what do they do? They try to win you over with emotion. Try to get you emotional, either get you angry or get you um, empathetic or whatever. They want to tug on your heartstrings to get you to give them your credit card number, right? And, and as a result, I think we're up in the billions at this point. Billions of dollars every year gets uh, given to scammers. I saw a documentary recently on, uh, on, on, a, on a call center that was a scam, basically. And um, again, why? Because the heart's deceitful. It will lie to you. So follow, follow your, don't, don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Number two, be true to yourself. Uh-oh. <laughs> be true to yourself. It's like, what does that even mean? You know, really, this, this one is all about accepting um, who you are the way you are. Be true to yourself. But what did Jesus say? Matthew 16 and 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, don't be true to yourself. He said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This, really, this one really gets at, and maybe some of you are already picking up at the central theme with all these, but this false trinity, right? We, we know about the, the real trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Well, the, what is the false trinity? Me, myself, and I, right? It's all about me. This is, uh, this really, the self is the most popular idol in all of human history, right? There's many idols, but there's not one that's been, um, I, I think, played on or tempted on as, as much as the self, serving uh, me, right? And here's the problem. You cannot be true to yourself if you don't know who you are. This is a whole other sermon. I wish I, I wish I could prepare this whole, whole other one, but this is one on identity, which is like, you, know, you could do a whole like year on a, seri- a year series on identity. Um, there's, you know, I, so, many exa- so many examples in the Bible I could pick. One of my favorites is the story of Gideon. It's in Judges somewhere. You should go read that story. But it's so good, right? Gideon had a, very, had a view of himself, very weak, very inept, very fearful. That wasn't who he was, though. There's no way that Gideon could know who he was because he didn't make himself. Gideon didn't make Gideon. Who made Gideon? Okay, so who knows who Gideon is? God. And as a result, if you read the story, I won't spoil it for those that haven't read it. Gideon tells, God tells Gideon exactly who he is. And Gideon fought God and didn't believe him. And at the end of the day, who was right? God was right. Right? Uh, there's a series, uh, especially for the young folks. I'm still young, but younger folks in the room. There's a, even every, actually for everybody. I don't know why I said young. But anyways, uh, has anybody heard it's called, the, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher this, it's called Delafe, Delafe Testimonies. Has anybody heard of this? It's got to be one person. Okay, a couple people, there you go. Go watch it, check it out. It's called the Delafe Testimonies on YouTube. Powerful. These are people who are ex-everything, <laughs> like ex-drug addicts, ex-alcoholics, ex-homosexuals, um, you know, all this stuff, and they're giving their testimony. And what you'll see in all of these very raw and real testimonies They all say this, when I met Jesus, he told me who I was. It's literally so emotional. It's powerful. Uh, It's hard to argue with somebody's testimony. Matter of fact, you can't argue with somebody's testimony. Um, You can't be true to yourself unless you know God, right? Because only he knows who you are. So the truth is, God, godly love is not acceptance without transformation. I'll say it again. This is something that Ooh, the, the, the church has been in trouble with a lot recently, um, 
But anyways, godly love is not acceptance without transformation. Godly love is sacrificial and the cost is one's life. Luke 14, 28 and 33, for which of you desiring to build a tower first does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Verse 33, this is Jesus speaking. So therefore, any of you who does not denounce all that he has cannot become my disciple. Jesus is telling you, listen, I'm going to pay the price, right, for, for salvation. But to follow me and to become my disciple, there's a cost for that. It costs you everything. It costs you your life. You don't have any say-so in terms of uh, who, you, who you are per se, right? You still have free will, but you have to freely allow him to, to, to share with you, okay, who he designed and intimately knit you to be. Number, number three, believe in yourself. I wasn't going to put an asterisk next to this one, but I was like, nah. <laughs> believe in yourself. Now, let me just, I'll get into it, but listen, it's okay to be confident, but I'm going to share where your confidence should come from. John 14 and 1, let not your hearts be troubled. What does Jesus say? Believe in God, believe in also in me. Like Jesus didn't say believe in you. He said believe in me, in God, and then also in me. Philippians 2 and 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. This is like Paul's like doubling down even more. He's in more. This is a scripture we actually don't quote much, much in church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, do what? Count others as more significant than yourselves. So not only are we saying believe in God, right, and believe in Jesus, but actually start to view others around you as more significant than you. That's so counter this culture that we're in. It's, that one's hard. That's going to mess with that's going to mess with our flesh a little bit. It messes with mine. The issue, here's the issue with self-esteem. The issue is just simply pride. And I couldn't wait. I would just share it now. Every single one of these is uh, the issue's pride. Like that's the central theme. By the way, if you didn't know it, that is exactly the only temptation that Satan ever will give you. It's all, they're all about pride. Go back and read the garden. Go back and read it again. Read how you tempted Jesus. They're all about pride. They're all about elevating you at a place that you were never, not, never supposed to sit. 1 Corinthians 1 and 31 says, So that, as it is written, let one who boasts do what? Boast in the Lord. So let me just say this very emphatically. You're supposed to be confident. Matter of fact, your confidence is supposed to be through the roof. But it's because your confidence comes from God. Not from your own, you know, ability or, you know, because we're awesome, right? We are, but only because God says so. <laughs> like, that's the only reason, right? That's the only reason. Um, when, I, when I was actually in high school, in, in latter high school, like junior, senior year, and then like freshman year of college, I, I had a, I, I did struggle with the depression. I don't, you know, I, I did struggle with depression. I struggled with this idea of like, you know, just feeling less than feeling insignificant, feeling lack of purpose. But actually, you know, I, I attribute this a lot to a ministry I was in in college. Uh, when I was in college, went, went to a conference, like another plug for DSM, went to a conference and it like really, it, I, made the, I made the faith, you know, I grew up Christian my whole life, but made the faith my own. And as a result, one of the things that happened was my confidence began to grow in immense ways, but it was because I, was, I, was, I learned the secret, right? It's like, I don't have to uh, perform for people. I don't have to uh, be cool anymore. I don't have to, like, you know, try to conjure up some sort of, like, self-will, self-help, you know, recite these incantations every morning, the stuff that the world does. I just go to the Lord and get everything from the Lord. The image I got was, like, 
you know, if you had the option, if there was a way you could harness, like think about all the technology you have, if there's a way you can harness, there's no way to do this, but, you know, nuclear power and carry it around with you versus a battery. I mean, how many of us wouldn't just carry the nuclear power around with us, right? If, we, if it could power our whole houses, our phones, everything, right? The rest of our lives. It's like you would take that well, why do we settle for the battery, which is trying to come up with some sort of way to be confident in ourselves? No, believe in yourself, but really believe in, believe in God and what he says. And as a result, whatever God says, that's what you believe about yourself. Amen. Number four, two more. Number four, live your truth. Yeah, this one's, this one is flawed in a lot of reasons, but live your truth. Uh, this is the moral relativism. Moral relativism uh, is the title that they give this. Um, you've heard, probably heard people say, I'm sure everybody has heard people say this, you know, live your truth, do whatever you want to do, live your truth, okay? Um, the problem is, is this is not true anywhere, <laughs> okay? Uh, if my truth is I'm Superman and I go up on a building, right, and I want to live that truth, gravity doesn't care, right? Um, so my truth doesn't matter. John 18 and 37 says, then Pilate said to him, so what did Jesus say? So this is Pilate questioning Jesus. So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Well, what is it? Everyone who is the truth listens to my voice. Right? John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The, the, the problem is, is um, or the reality is, there's nothing relative about God. God is absolute. As a matter of fact, like, I got this, I won't go on, I really am so tempted to go on this like tangent here, but I, I've meditated. You, you, in your meditation with the Lord, you can, you know, have fun with the Lord just with this topic. God is so powerful, right? There's a reason why God doesn't repeat himself, right? Like he'll, he'll, um, he has the word and he'll give revelation, but many times God is silent. And, and it's almost like, um, well, let me, let me not say that, but God is so powerful. If he's got to be, God has to be careful what he says, Right? You ever think about that? Or right, you can think about that when you're talking with the Lord. If he just says any old thing, it's like, if he says any old thing, then, then like the whole world, you know, universe falls apart. God is very, he says what he says because as soon as he says it, boom, it has to happen, right? He's the only one that carries that power. The problem with living your truth is the lack of authority and therefore it exposes hypocrisy, right? Another example is if I say my, you know, for example, somebody says, live your, live your truth. And I'm going to say, well, my truth is, is that I believe anybody who says live your truth, I can slap them. That's my truth. How is that going to work? No, they're going to, you know, immediately there, there's an infraction and then the, their whole belief system crumbles. There's so many of the world, world's ideologies, fake ideologies. They're all a house of cards. They're all lies. You know, they, they don't last because if you go, if you spend any time kind of looking at, um, I shouldn't say that. There's a couple things I want to say. I shouldn't say. But if you, if, you take, if you look at some of these, don't look at them long. But if you just, you know, it, it is kind of sometimes it's fun to take something that somebody believes and then run it through the lens of Scripture and you'll go, well, this doesn't even make sense, right? So anyway, I, I could spend a lot of time there, but I won't. So um, yes, Jesus is, only Jesus is true. And number five, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. Mark 8, 36 and 37 for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man re- give in return for his soul? The, the, the problem with this whole idea of like ignorance is bliss, you know, like just 
whatever makes me happy, I'm just going to settle here. Like this thing makes me happy. I'm just going to forget about everything else and just put my head in the ground like an ostrich and just settle here, right? The the problem with this is eventually truth is going to reach your doorstep. Um, There's a very, you can check it out in history. It's a very sobering um, story of the Nuremberg Laws. Has anybody heard of this? This is in, um, uh, this was, this was uh, basically put in, put in place in Germany um, for Jewish people. Just, it was basically a, it led into uh, the Holocaust. And it basically are a series of, of laws that, that over time stripped away the rights that Jewish people had. And the idea was that, you know, you know if you were Jewish, you couldn't do certain things and, and they would just, it would just be just a little bit more, just a little bit more. You know, you, you, you can't own a weapon, okay? You can't do this. You can't do this, right? You can't, you have curfew now. Just small things, right? And for those that know the story, and you know, there were some Jews that, that, that got out prior to the Holocaust, but, for, you know, hope everybody in the room knows the story. Ultimately, um, that's not where uh, the story ended, unfortunately. Um, the truth was, is that, you know, there was another, there was, there was an ultimate agenda for that group of people. So it's very sobering. It's just like um, Pleasure Island and the story of Pinocchio, right? Like everything is wonderful, candy, games, right? As long as it makes me happy, that's all that matters. Candy, games, right? Unlimited fun. And as a result, I think in, uh, there's so many versions of Pinocchio, but they start getting turned into donkeys or whatever and getting shipped away, right? It comes at a cost. I, um, for me personally, um, I share this story quite often, and I, and I do, Lord... I asked the Lord, I'm like, I have to share this again. And the Lord's like, listen, you remember that what, what happened to you, and, and let's, let's just let's, you know, yield some purpose out of it. So uh, year 2019, I had a, a physical ailment the whole year, and um, my whole system was out of whack. And the whole year, I refused to believe the truth, and that was, um, you know, I needed some habit changes, <laughs> right, with my diet and exercise and all these types of things. But I resisted that truth, resisted it. And ultimately, um, the reality is I just needed to die, right? I needed to die to self. I needed to humble myself, accept the truth, apply it, uh, which it took me a year, which is far too long, but it took me a year. I finally did that, and the Lord brought healing, right? So it's not about happiness. It's about adopting the truth, even if it hurts. Amen? Amen. So in closing, um, I want to read to you. This is on their website. Um, but this is the Church of Satan's six tenets. Uh-oh, you didn't know you were going to read. <laughs> you, didn't go, you know you were going to hear these. And I'm, and I'm doing a lot of this on purpose this evening because Satan is, is not just some, like, scary boogeyman. It's not how he operates. The Bible says he's more crafty than, in, than any creation um, that there was, right? And so if we're not very intentional, just as Jesus said, if we don't understand, if we don't bring these truths together in our mind, Satan will quickly snatch them away. Even now, even the things I'm telling you, if you're not intentional about it, by the time you get to your car in the parking lot, you're just going to forget all about them, right? These truths are here to allow us to become more and more like Christ, to change us, to challenge us. But look at the six tenets. This, is, this, this, this blew my mind. It should blow your mind. Six tenets of the church of Satan. Very much like the, uh, the five things I just shared. Number one, be proud of yourself. Number two, do what thou wilt. Number three, love thyself. Number four, be an individualist. Submit, do not submit to any man. Number five, be loyal and faithful to yourself. And number six, honor yourself and worship yourself.
So, as I mentioned, the common theme of all of these is pride, right? In order for us to become like Jesus, it's not a one-time thing to humble ourselves. We have to submit to God, submit to his truth, to submit to his word every day. Paul said it best, I die daily. So, how can we know if we're properly hearing the voice of God? Because we know that Satan's lies tend to appeal to the flesh, the the, the sense of touch and taste and how we see and what we think and what we, we feel. Well, there, there is this pattern. The Old Testament is so awesome in so many ways, and it can be intimidating. So what I like to do is, or at least tell people, is like revisit the Old Testament, but have like a specific lens on, you know. Visit the Old Testament and be looking, kind of go treasure hunting with the Lord for a specific thing, right? So here's one thing you can do is when you go to the Old Testament, look at this pattern that you'll find, um, the Israelites mainly, but, but also some other stories and groups. Um, and it's the pattern, the pattern or, um, of conquering, or I wrote down in parentheses, <laughs> or failing to conquer, because a lot of times the Israelites just flat out failed, <laughs> um, territory. Conquering or failing to conquer territory. So, um, again, where we're at, wherever you are this evening, where you're at, God loves you. He's pleased with you, right? But he loves you enough to continue to urge you to continue to become more like him, to continue to to receive fresh revelation, okay? So I just want to give you three things before we close, three kind of strategies, if you will, to, again, Trust the Lord, and then through that trust, begin to adopt more truth, more truth, fresh revelation into your mind, such that it would take root and transform you. Number one is to fight. So you read the Old Testament, you'll see um, there were a lot, there was a lot of fighting, (laughs) right? That might be putting it mildly, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of war. Um, But it was was to really paint a very vivid picture of what we are to do today and early our daily basis. It is spiritual warfare, right? If you haven't been in church, um, any length of time, you understand that, I don't have the scripture reference, but the, the, the word says that uh, this fight that we fight is not a, a carnal, of carnal nature, right? But it's one of spirit, right? Um, and so as a result, uh, if you don't know, there are powers, principalities, forces that exist around us every day, right? That their sole purpose is to deceive and destroy you, right? John 10, 10, right? Steal, kill, destroy. So we got to fight, Here's, here's, here's what I wrote down. Prayer ensures there are places your mind will never go. So good. Prayer ensures there are places your mind will never go. And this explains why when you sit down to pray, that is the time that the enemy wants to like fight it. And your flesh especially wants to fight you the hardest. It's like how many have tried to sit down and just to pray for a few minutes and you can't even be still? Or you try to just meditate on the Lord and your mind drifts and wonders. Like that's spiritual warfare. Because there are things that the, that the Lord wants to do internally and permanently in your nefesh, that's Hebrew, for your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, right? Even your physical body. All of that God wants to adopt. He wants to change. Galatians 5 and 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And there's so many things that we can do, but ultimately, again, it's first a position. It is, even before it's a position, it's being, having the awareness, it's having the understanding that we can't afford to have a day go by where we're not warring in the Spirit. Paul says we should even pray without ceasing. Like, how is that possible? 
That means everything you do, right? And this is something that um, the last year or so the Lord's really been challenging me with, and I feel like I've been failing miserably, but like if you're at your desk at work or in the truck or in the shower or um, wherever you're at, you're constantly in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, constantly praying, praying in the Spirit, right? There's a war aspect. There's a fight. There's an intentional engagement of the forces around you. And yes, your mind is that battlefield because the flesh is on the other side, wants to do everything to entice you to move away from that, right? That's where the war takes place. That's where the battle takes place. So fight. Because so much, so much more we could say on that. Number two, destroy all remaining influence. This is a lot of times specifically where the Israelites messed up. So they would go in, they'd conquer a territory, and God said, kill everything. <laughs> kill the monuments, kill the statues, kill the women, kill the children, right? Kill, do every, like, don't touch anything. And the Israelites didn't do it. <laughs> like they left some behind. It's like, well, why is that? That's brutal, God. Why is that? Well, it's a, very, it's a very simple principle, actually. A lot of times, the influence of the culture, right, of the, the, the people that remained is much more damaging and powerful than the actual people that were there to begin with. And believe it or not, if you go back and study, there's historians debate the fall of Rome. It's like, well, how did the Roman Empire fall? One of the things that Rome did do when they conquered Greece is they adopted the philosophies of Greece, of, of Greek philosophies. So all of the Aristotle and Plato's and all those, they adopted all of those. And a lot of those, United States actually adopted. So you can look at that uh, in your history books later. But um, the reality is, is some people argue that over time, it was some of those same philosophies that caused Rome to be more soft. But anyways, so destroy all remaining influences. This is the concept of atmospheres. Atmospheres. Um, I, we could do a whole nother series on strongholds, but just know that a stronghold uh, in the Old Testament represent like a defensive structure. It was all about a defensive structure. Um, and that typically if you think the Battle of Jericho is one that uh, comes to mind. And um, it was meant to obviously keep you know, their enemies out. But the point is, is that once you find your way in and you destroy the enemies, God wants you to, to destroy all those strongholds, tear them all down, get rid of them. I, this is the verse I, I had in my notes. This is the verse I was trying to, to, to remember earlier, 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 and 6. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to what? Destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Let me read that one again. What is a stronghold? We destroy arguments. This is what Paul's talking about. This is the strongholds of our day. Arguments, every lofty opinion, opinions raised against the knowledge of God, to take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience with your obedience, uh, excuse me, when your obedience is complete. And this is such, such an important one. It's like you could have, you know, you've seen people that, you know, are set free, they're healed, right? Demons are casted out. But what remains is still old habits, old ways of thinking, Right? Old things that we carry, that we just carry, even a lot of them are subliminal. We just do things because we've just done them for so long, we don't know any better, right? Those are strongholds, okay? So once we fight and continue to fight, we have to identify what are the strongholds in our lives and those around us that we have to pray, that we have to tear down with the power of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of this is this principle of replacement. So I'm going here, but it's our spiritual discipline. So when you read your word, right, it's not like you're just going into a history book and just like, oh, that's cool, God. No, you're engaging in warfare. You're literally tearing down structures in your mind, things that you've carried around for so many years, and you're erecting new structures. 
right? Everybody watch these like, you know, uh, renovation uh, shows, right? What, what's the first thing they do? Demo day, right? They just tear everything up. It's like the funnest, funnest part of those shows. Before you can build anything, before you can grow, you got to tear that old stuff away. And of course, you're going to replace it, right? So when we read the scriptures, that's what we're doing. We're replacing truth for lies, replacing truth for lies. So our spiritual disciplines, fasting, giving, not going to certain places. Jesus has a very interesting scripture. I don't have the reference, but he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? If your eyes cause you to, cause you to, cause you to sin, gouge them out. It's like, well, what is Jesus saying? Could he be, you know, telling you to cut your hand off? I think Jesus is saying, he's kind of saying that, but he's really saying something way more deep. And it's, it's hard to even put into words, but let me just say it this way. There are certain spiritual disciplines that you must do to protect your soul. Like there's certain places you shouldn't go. There's certain things you shouldn't watch, right? And it's not to be legalistic. It's just that you're trying to not allow the enemy to come in. And certainly you're not, you're not trying to allow strongholds to be erected in your life. Right? Amen? So, so, so that's what stronghold are, are tearing down all the influence of the world. Because if, if you don't know by now, just, you know, just look at the media. Satan wants to do all he can to, to garner influence in your life, even as a believer. Right? You're, you're, if you're saved and you believe in the Lord, you're going to heaven. But how, much of a, how, 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 how free are you going to be? How effective will you be in the kingdom if you're carrying, carrying these lies? And number three. Make an altar and establish the word. So when Israel did it right, they destroyed all the enemies. They tore down all the strongholds. And if you see the end of these stories, they, they honored God. All right. They made an altar and they established the word. And, and this does a couple of things. It honors God. Right. So it, it gives uh, it gives due where, you know, due belongs in glory and honor and credit. Right. That's what we do when we just worshiped. Um, but it also is a reminder to us, right? It's also a remind, it was also a reminder to them when they built an altar, altar of stone. Anytime they walked past it, they remember what God did. They remember what, what took place. Ezra 7 and 10 says, For Ezra has set his heart, watch this progression, to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statues and rules in Israel. So when you sit down, I mean, all of us, everybody in this room, we're to study the word, right? We're to do the word. Right? Don't just be hearers, be doers also, but then also teach it. Right? Influence the people around us that we have influence over. That's the progression. You know, I, I love getting revelation from the scriptures because get, getting revelation, I love watching these movies to where the whole movie is one scene, but they chop it up into separate scenes, and it's like a specific perspective from like a different person in the scene, if that makes sense. There's a movie, I think it's called Vantage Point. Right. So it's like one thing that's happening, but you get more. Uh, I think another movie that uh, came out, uh, my guy, Christopher Nolan, I forget. It was a World War Two movie. It's the same thing. Like there was this, it was one thing happening, but you get different perspectives. And that's how weird in the scripture is. So don't just approach the same scripture over and over again and just say, well, I've read this before. No, like God has a different vantage point, a different perspective, a different revelation that he wants to provide to you. you have one example of this is. Um, Abraham and, and, and Isaac and, and how, you know, God shifted Abraham's perspective from, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son to, oh, there is a sacrifice, right? We have a sacrifice replacement. So in closing, we can all stand. Let's just bow our hearts and just remember the mind replays what the heart cannot delete. The mind replays what the heart cannot delete. And as a result of that truth, because that's how we're operating, how we're wired and how we operate, we need a whole new mind. Amen.
we need the mind of Christ. So the altar call is just very simple this evening, and you can come forward if you like, or you know, take this with your, as you leave with your quiet time with the Lord. Um, but it's just simply to allow the Holy Spirit to help you identify, you know, where in your, where in your own life are you, your thoughts not lined up with the Word of God. And as I said, the, the, the starting and the ending place to truth is trust. And so um, salvation is very simple. The Bible says just believe in the, on the Lord and you will be saved. Believe that Jesus is the only remedy. He's the only source of salvation. There's no other options. Believe in him. Trust in him. Let in, give your life to him. Amen. So let's just close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we just thank you guys so much for... Um, your word. We thank you, Father God, that your soul, your truth is so unrelenting that when we sway, much like the prodigal son, and when we go places and we our mind wanders, Lord God, you just bring us back to that anchor that is the word. So bless everyone here this evening. Holy Spirit, just continue, just as you gave me that text or showed me that the, 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 the text for the young man yesterday, Father God. It was such an encouragement to me, Father God, because that reminded me, Lord, that you're still working. You're working in the hearts of those that are here this evening and those that are watching online and even those that are not here or watching online, but that you are sovereign. There are no mistakes. There are no accidents, Father God. You're so intentional. So we're honored, Father God, to be called sons of God. And we pray, Father God, that we repent of the of the, of the thoughts of the places and the spaces, Lord God, that we've allowed to occupy our minds that do not line up with your word. We love you and thank you for your truth that even when it hurts, Father God, it nourishes our soul. So bless your people this evening. We honor you, declare you as Lord. You're so worthy. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer, please come up. The altar ministers will come up and live right, love everybody, pray hard. Thank you, guys. Thank you.